Well, let's finish up chapter 47 of the book of Genesis, uh, and then we'll continue on to chapter 48. But if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 47, we'll read verses 27 to 31. Genesis 47 and verses 27 to 31. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh, which was a a way of swearing in that time of an oath, and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me. In Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the the bed. And so in Jacob's desire here and his wanting and, and making Joseph promise that this would take place. We see that Jacob's faith in God's promise that he and his descendants would inherit the land of Canaan, we see that that faith is still strong. And so, Jacob, we have considered many things in his life, and we see that there were some failures and there were some growth that needed to take place in his faith. But when it was all said and done, he believed the promises that were given, first of all, to his grandfather Abraham and then passed down to Isaac. And now to Jacob, and now he continues to pass these promises down to his descendants. And when we, we think about that, again, if we're just studying history here, it may not be very profitable. But always remember that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God. And our faith in the promises he's made us, and he's made us a lot, both for now and for eternity... That even before they are fully realized, before we see them, we need to continue to express our faith knowing that God will show himself faithful. And that he truly is working all things for our good. Honestly, you can't always see that in this life. You can't always see that in the midst of your trials. Where I don't see any good here and I don't see how any good could come from it. But that's when we need to continue to express our faith, knowing that God will show himself faithful as he did to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to the nation of Israel. They did inherit the land of Canaan. They did receive all of those promises, the fulfillment of those that God had given them. And there are still yet that are future for the nation of Israel. But just as assuredly as he has fulfilled these promises up to this point, those future ones are just as sure. And as we see today's headlines, and it looks uh, like there are things there that just don't seem like they're going to end up like God said they would, we understand that God is executing his will exactly how it's supposed to be. And we can't always understand it, and don't, don't fall into the trap that so many that like to go overboard on prophecy to the point that they try to interpret every current headline and say, oh, this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. Frankly, we don't know the details. I just know the end because he's told me, and I trust him. 
But the same is true with my life and, and the promises he's made to me. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, because we know he's faithful, we need to make it our aim in life, our purpose for living, to always be pleasing to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10. Therefore we make it our aim, our purpose, whether present or absent. Jacob was about to die. And yet even in his death, he wanted his death and his subsequent burial to be a testament to his faith in the promises of God. He wanted to be pleasing to God even in his death. This is why he insisted that he be buried in the land of Canaan. We, whether present or absent, whether we live or die, you know, sometimes we may make it all about this life and God has to always heal us and always do a miracle in our life or, we're, or God's just not faithful. It's how we often think. No, even our death can be an opportunity for others to see the reality of our faith in Christ. And so whether present or absent, whether living or dead, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is how we're to live our, our life. In every situation, in every circumstance, it's not to please everyone else. It's to please the Lord and him alone. And when we do that, when we are his instrument to minister to others, there will be others that will acknowledge. There will be those that don't. But everything we do, we do to be pleasing to the Lord. That means everything we do and say needs to be in accordance with his instruction and his word. So Jacob's final, he's not dying yet, but we're kind of given a, a jump to the end here. We'll look at chapter 48 here in a minute where he still has some unfinished business but he's nearing the end but he wanted to make sure that even in his death that Jehovah would be glorified and that his faith in the promises of God would be declared we need to do the same in every circumstance in in our life including when it comes time for us to pass on to the other side Genesis 48 we'll read 22 verses here in Genesis 48, beginning at verse 1, this is the blessings on Joseph's sons. And then after that, we'll have the blessings on Jacob's sons. But let's look at the Jacob's blessing on his grandchildren. Genesis 48, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, Manasseh being the older one. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luce in the land of Canaan and blessed me. So he's still going back to the, to the blessings promised him by Jehovah. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people. And give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Notice Jacob has changed the order here. Who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine as Reuben and Simeon. 
they shall be mine. In other words, they shall be accounted as, as Jacob's sons rather than Joseph's, as far as inheritance is concerned. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel, that is Jacob, were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. The right hand of blessing would be the prominent one, and that's how Joseph presented his sons. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So he's crossed his arms. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he shall also be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. In other words, he's, he's saying that in the future, if someone wanted to say uh, a blessing on someone, be as blessed as Ephraim and Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers. In other words, a double portion, the portion of the firstborn, which Joseph was not the firstborn, but he gets the double portion as far as inheritance is concerned, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. 
So Jacob is nearing the end of his life, and the Lord gave him 17 more good years that he could spend with Joseph and his family, and with all of his family, and be well taken care of, well provided for. Joseph here is receiving that double portion of inheritance that is reserved in that time, according to the custom, for the firstborn. And Reuben, he doesn't receive that portion. He wasn't found worthy of that portion. Jacob reminds Joseph of God's promises that he made to him and to Abraham, to Isaac. And now he passes those on to Ephraim and to Manasseh, and that they were part of God's fulfilling these promises. It was it was the beginning of that fruitfulness that God promised to Jacob. Ephraim and Manasseh are now going to take the place as Jacob's sons. Instead of just grandsons, they're going to, as far as their inheritance is concerned, they're going to inherit an inheritance, especially when it comes to the land of Canaan, that, that belonged to Jacob's sons. Simeon, as we'll later see if you want to turn to Joshua 19.1. Simeon is absorbed into the tribe of Judah as far as their inheritance is concerned. They're still a tribe, still one of the twelve. It might be good to think of it this way. The twelve tribes of Israel are the twelve sons of Jacob, but then there are twelve territories. The Levites didn't inherit. The tribe of Levi didn't inherit land in the land of Canaan except for some uh, pastures for their cattle but they received a part as the priests they received their livelihood through the priesthood and and through the care of of the tabernacle and then later the temple and so we see in Joshua 19:1 the second lot came out for Simeon this is when the land was being divided after Joshua had conquered the land of Canaan For the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the the children of of Judah. And so we see that Manasseh and Ephraim became numbered among the twelve tribes when it came to inheriting land in the land of Canaan. Levi, they had their designated income from the work in the temple, but They didn't receive, like all the other tribes, any land in the land of Canaan. For the fifth time in the book of Genesis, we see that God reverses the birth order. Now, it was very common that the firstborn receive a double portion and then enter in to become the head of the family and the spiritual head of the family and and the ruling head of the family. That was the pattern. That was the custom. But now five times in the book of Genesis, we see that God overrules that order. God chose Abel, but not Cain. God chose Isaac, but not Ishmael. God chose Jacob, but not Esau. And God chose Joseph and not Reuben for that double portion. And now we see that Ephraim is given the place of the firstborn, over Manasseh. So there seems to be a pattern here. Joseph thought that the mix-up was due to his father's poor eyesight. He was getting old and he didn't know what he was doing. But clearly Jacob knew exactly what he was doing. And he was clearly being led of the Lord. 
and in his blessings, because everything that he prophesied in his blessing took place. The tribe of Ephraim became so much greater than Manasseh that later on, when, when, the, tri- when the 12 tribes, when the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the, the northern and the southern, the southern part were, were made up primarily of Judah and Benjamin, and the northern was Ephraim and all the other tribes. But that northern kingdom, because Ephraim was such the, was the predominant tribe, often that northern kingdom was simply referred to as Ephraim. In other words, that, that's how large and prominent Ephraim became, fulfilling these, these prophetic blessings of, of Jacob over Joseph's sons. He knew what he was doing, and God knew what he was doing. The younger ruling over the older seems to be a principle that God wanted to set early on. The younger will rule over the older, which again was not natural to man. It wasn't man's idea. But this was something that God was teaching. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, we have the doctrinal statement that these examples and principles that were set in the Old Testament, what they pointed to, for God's eternal plan and purpose for the human race, not just for Israel, but for the whole human race, that the younger would rule over the older. This is what we see in Paul's teaching in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. For into the law sin was in the world, But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. They were both heads of something. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift By the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, that is the death of Christ on the cross in obedience to his Father, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Adam came first. He is the head of the human race. He sinned, and all of his descendants were plunged into death and condemnation. 
But God's blessing was to be on one who would come after him, the younger, if you will, that the blessings of God's grace, life, righteousness would be by this younger one and that he would ultimately rule over all. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul puts it this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. First Adam, he was the older. The last Adam, the younger one, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. So Adam came first, but in Adam and the sinful nature that he passed on to us, there's nothing but condemnation and death. The blessings that come from God to the human race are not not through the first Adam, but through the second. That principle we see five times we've read so far in, in the book of Genesis, where that principle was being established for us, that the younger would rule over the older one. God's blessings come through the second Adam as we identify with him. Matthew 3, Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. God rejects the flesh nature that comes from Adam, but he rejoices in the life of his son, the second Adam, just as all of these firstborns were rejected from the blessing, the double portion of the firstborn. God rejects what the flesh demands, blessings of God. They only come through Jesus Christ. Matthew 3.16 When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Just as Jacob knew what he was doing when he blessed Ephraim over Manasseh, God knows what he's doing when he says, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. In another place he says, Hear him. Some people are displeased when you tell them that God rejects the flesh, that God accepts no man or no woman on their own merit. That makes some people mad. But God knows what he's doing. Joseph was displeased. Dad, don't do that. It's not right. When you tell people that God rejects the flesh, that there is no merit in us, that makes people mad. But I'm glad to know that my blessing is found in Jesus Christ. I stand complete in him, not in myself, not in Adam. We read there in verse 21 where Jacob, Israel, said, Behold, I'm dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Jacob knew that God's blessing wasn't going to die with him. Didn't die with Abraham. Didn't die with Isaac. It wasn't going to die with Jacob. Interesting the phrase where it says the time came when Jacob must die. He had to die. 
That comes for all of us. We, we, we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about our loved ones dying. And, and we don't like to talk about our own mortality. But it, it's just the reality of life on this, on this earth. But our hope goes beyond this life. And this is what Jacob, these promises and God's faithfulness go beyond my death. He'll continue to show himself faithful to those who trust him. In Jacob's faith here, he, he didn't fear death. And he knew that his death wasn't going to annul the promises of God. The same is true with each generation. God will show himself faithful to those who trust him. Well, let's just close with Acts 20 and verse 24. No matter what we are facing, no matter what we're going through, may our, our testimony of our faith in the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, may that testimony always be clear. And no matter what we face... No matter what the obstacles, when it appears that God couldn't possibly show himself faithful in this situation, may we have the attitude and the faith of Paul, Acts twenty twenty four. But none of these things move me. Well, what things was he talking about? The Holy Spirit had revealed to him he was going to get beat up and thrown in jail and ultimately beheaded. Those things. Just, just a few minor things. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. This life is going to be over. The race is going to end. Can we finish with joy? And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. May that truly be our testimony. And if you ever want to put anything on my grave, I would like it to be, be said and be true. He finished with joy. He finished his race with joy and the, the ministry that the Lord gave him. That should be true of all of us. That should be our desire. May the Lord help us. We'll close with that.